got a new listener. Uh, uh, I'm ready to go. Let's okay, do it. thanks, Ian. Oh, hi, you're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all of the good, bad and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney, and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. I'd like to welcome our guest, Ian Lockwood. Ian is a Brooklyn-based comedian and pop musician. He is the host of Ian Lockwood's Girlfriend Pageant at Union Hall. And I love Union Hall. I have so many questions. And has had recurring appearances on the Earwolf podcast, Earwolf Presents. Ian recently released his second studio EP, Not Like Other Girls. He is an alumni of NYU Tisch's Experimental Theater Wing, which took me 17 takes to say. Second City's Comedy Studies, UCB, and the Annoyance Theater NY and his shows have been covered in Time Out Brooklyn, Brooklyn Paper, Bedford and Bowery and more. And look, when you have a bio that makes me tongue twist like that and has that many credits and you're all of 16 and a half years old, I'm going to have to be real humble and shut my mouth because this is crazy. All of those uh, insane credentials. I better know Ian for meeting for meeting him right now in real time and being tongue twisted at all of those insane (laughs) accomplishments. So Ian, what made you want to to get into comedy and pop stardom how did you foresee the opening in the market in this way because it's such a niche which do you like better comedy or music remember all of those questions and tell us tell us all of the things <laughs> <laughs> hello hello thank Hi, you for having me um which do i like better comedy or music music comedy is so embarrassing <laughs> uh just- <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. If I have to be real, I think I, I, if I had to pick one, I would, I would do comedy, but comedy can be embarrassing. Oh yes. It can be corny. It can be goofy, but I love embarrassing myself for people. Um, (laughs) Music does feel cooler for sure. I will say, so I just put out my favorite thing I've ever done. It's a song called Orbo, which is about uh, an AI version of me, which is trapped in the computer and lives a hellish, tor- tormented experience. Um, and I love it. I love the video. But I started from the music on that one. I really love the music on that one. And people come up to me all the time and they're like, oh, you know what? That one was so catchy. It was a banger. That's going to be in my head. And I'm like, okay, now compliment the comedy. Go. <laughs> So uh, I'm never satisfied. I I really love doing both is the answer. I love that. And um, I have watched the video and the video quality is so intensely good. And I have to imagine. Oh, thank you. Yeah. The editing software and whatnot. Do you do your own editing? Because that I was like, this involved a lot of computers. Not at all in this case. That was the incredibly talented director, Michelle Gold. You, You have to go check out her stuff. It's all fucked up and weird. Can I say fuck? Yes, you sure can. Um, We're on. We're podcasting. I uh, have known Michelle for a long time, but then I saw this horrifying short she did called Little Bunny Foo Foo, which is like a, it's like Ted. It's a parody of Ted, except the creature is like a poorly CGI'd rabbit trash can. (laughs) And it says the most disgusting, horrifying things. And I was like, this would be the right person for this project. Okay, and what inspired you to go so like, because I think 
it could be interpreted many ways. I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't seen it. So what inspired, because you said you liked the, the music part of it, but what inspired this particular direction for even not just the video, but the music? Oh, okay. So I love pop music so, so much. And I think a part of my hesitance uh, into getting into comedy music in the first place was I loved comedy. I loved music, but uh, the music was not always uh, serving in comedy music. Sometimes the comedy took the the front seat and the music took the back seat. And I love music so much that I, I didn't want to um, just play on the ukulele, which is not a drag of anyone. I play on the ukulele all the time. Uh, and when I come up with a new song, I'll totally just start on the ukulele. <laughs> um, but so I love pop music. And I just wanted, I, 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 so now I'm doing an hour long concert of myself. I did the first one a week ago. I'm going to put it up again. Follow, follow me for, for details on that, I guess. But um, it is, the show is like if you went and saw a Dua Lipa concert, but everything that she was saying and singing was absolutely horrifying. <laughs> so there is dancing there's there's soon there will be pyrotechnics i promise um there are three incredible costume changes that i i worked with a designer named sam brandman he's incredible uh so it's like it's like fully a dua lipa concert but all of the songs about are about like screwing your friend's dad and <laughs> being an ai trapped in the computer for all of time or killing people it's so good it's relatable uh, I love, love, yeah. <laughs> love all of those ideas. So what is the, because that sounds kind of like a conceptual one hour long, like one person show or something you could take to like fringe or something like that. Is mm -hmm. that the goal with it? Or are you going to just have it live kind of online as its own thing? I'd love to do that. Definitely. I had a couple of people run up to me and go fringe, fringe, fringe. And I went, okay, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go for a month to do my show. Um, I think it's just, I want to deliver such a fun experience that whatever happens next with it, everyone who comes out of it goes, oh, you have to go to this show. It's so wild and it's so fun and you won't be bored ever. Because um, you and I have both been to plenty of stand-up shows. After like 45 minutes, you're like, well, I could go home. <laughs> I'd be fine going home. In fact, I kind of want uh, to. <laughs> Maybe I really desperately want to go home. <laughs> uh, and so I just wanted to make a super fun show. And, you know, I'd be down to like do it every month, do it every, do it on Broadway every day, put that into the universe. Okay. Um, yes. And I, I think if it's fun enough, people, I think if you make it fun, the people will come. That's so true. And especially to your point, there's so much out there and there's so much content. But I mm -hmm. think the poorly crafted version of content is far out outnumbers the well thought out, well crafted mm -hmm. version. And so to stand out in a flooded market is so challenging. So I was so impressed by the niche that you have found because I don't think a lot of people are doing what you're doing. And so I'm very curious if, did your experience at the annoyance inform any of that? Because anybody who, if you're not a theater nerd, you might not know how incredible it is to get into mm -hmm. the annoyance. But they do a lot, uh, in, and I could be wrong, but I feel like they do a lot of kind of experimental, you know, you're not just doing Shakespeare there kind of stuff. So is that, did that inform or inspire any of what you're doing now? Absolutely. I think it was also a little intrinsic to me. And I did, like you said, thank you for the college credit. I did go to the experimental theater wing. Uh, but I 
after New York and Chicago. The New York version doesn't exist anymore. They were kind of separately operating identities, but they do have sort of a, the, the same philosophy, uh, which is very like character first, um, very form agnostic. Like they'll teach you the rules and then they'll be like, and if it's funnier, maybe just do something funnier that's against the rules. Um, I really gravitated to that. I hate authority. Try telling me what to do. I'm not going to do it. Uh, so I definitely somewhat through my own choices and somewhat by luck of the draw ended up at a bunch of places that were encouraging me to just be as crazy as possible. What a gift. What an absolute gift. That's amazing. And yeah. so when you say I hate authority, because I, w- I know that you were in the experimental wing of at Tish, but but Tish is, you mm-hmm. know, they make cuts every year. So how did how did you stick around to the end? They my programs did not have that structure. What so a gift. I was a- absolutely safe. Uh, well, then you're free, though. I, I would have made it if they had. Yes, made you cuts. would have. Yeah, you exactly. absolutely would have. Yeah. <laughs> no, I had a I had a great time there. Uh, it actually felt less uh, less pressure than uh, like Glee's fictional NYU Niata. Yeah. Um, which I'm obsessed with. <laughs> and uh, it was actually very relaxed, very kumbaya, very like find your truth and let's devise a theater piece. Oh, I just I'm so envious. That's amazing. How I because I had not. No, bring me back. Oh. How did you, what made you go into that instead of the traditional sort of various theater programs that are all over the country? What made you pick like, just because you hate authority and you were like, this, this probably fits me better. (laughs) A little bit of that and a little bit of like, I knew that I was a comedian uh, and I wanted to write. Like I, I also wanted to be an actor for sure. And I wanted to do musical theater and this and that, but uh, that studio in particular, highly recommend if anyone's considering getting going to college for this um there were promises there about like writing your own material and that was so so exciting to me a lot of college programs are split into acting and writing and if you're a writer you don't get to act and if you're an actor you don't get to write there's some programs around the country that combine these things now um like uh, columbia college chicago has a comedy major accredited through second city which is really fun but there was a promise there that I could write things and perform things. I didn't have to choose. So that's what I was excited about. What a gift. Okay. So you have been, are you originally a New Yorker or are you only a New Yorker now? Because I know you're Brooklyn based. Believe it or not, I'm from Los Angeles, California. What? I'm now Brooklyn based. Okay. So you, so from LA, you graduate high school and then you went straight to Tish or did you take any time off? I went straight to Tisch and I wanted to go to acting school. I was, I was a comedian. I, I had actually been doing like improv and stand up since I was like 14, 15. Uh, but I was also, I hate to admit it. I was kind of a musical theater kid. I and was God too. Bless and God bless them all. Yes. If you're a, yes. If you're, <laughs> if you're a musical theater kid listening to this, God bless you. Yes. And we need more of you. Yes, we do. Uh, <laughs> but I was like, we do. What if, if, I don't know if I, in good conscience, can tell kids to get into musical theater school. Here's the thing. Well, listen, Lin-Manuel Miranda was a nerdy uh, musical theater kid. And like, talk about making it cool. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I mean, like, no, it was not cool forever. Yes, it can work out great. 
it can. So, you know, I'm not here to judge you or me. We're doing a good job. It can. It can. <laughs> okay, so you went straight. Did you go straight? But I was ready to go to acting school immediately. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then I was like, oh, I can go. I want to go to acting school in one of the cities where you can then work in that. Uh, so I had the choice between Los Angeles and New York. And like I told you, I hate authority. I actually love my parents, but I was like, you know what? I'm not going to school two hours away from my parents. I'm going across the country. Cut to, I've lived here for like 12 years now. Holy crap. Good for you. And do you think that that New York is going to stay home? I wouldn't mind being bi-coastal specifically in the winter. I hate the winter here so much. It's rough, man. It's, it's, oof, it's rough. It's cold and it's dark. If I live in New York, how do I get eyes on you in live in person? Well, uh, go to unionhall.com and see when my next girlfriend pageant is. I think I think your listeners would love that show. Mm-hmm. Um, that show is, it's, it's typical. We'll do a boys version for Pride, but we have incredible uh, women and non-binary uh, contestants who get all dolled up for a beauty pageant usually pick a crazy character i play a disgusting sleazy straight host and they have to do the gown round and the question round and the uh, talent round and throughout the entire show they shit on me completely and sometimes i get beat up um so i do that like every other month Uh, at Union Hall. Go check the calendar there. I think we'll do one in February. And then my concert, I'll post. Go follow me online. I'll go post upcoming dates for it. Uh, That one I think you guys would like too. I love that. Well, hopefully also you you get your stuff to fringe or at least, if not fringe, I mean, I know that's sort of, it's cost prohibitive and I think $35,000 for a month is is Mm -hmm. kind of unconscionable. It's too much. But to be able to take that show all over feels totally possible. And that's a very unique, cool concept. And I encourage everybody to go to your YouTube page because you have a ton of incredible videos there that give a taste of who, of what your brand, I I would say, is. Actually, how would you define your brand? I would say it's as if Ariana Grande were worrying. Like, you know, the the, uh, the energy that, like, Britney Spears is currently bringing. Bless. Not in her concerts, like, on her Instagram page. Yeah. It's like, what <laughs> if she were bringing that energy on stage? And you can imagine that's, that would be pretty fun, if, if a little scary. I mean, wild. Wild would be the word that comes to mind. But, like, mm-hmm. yes, very fun. Okay, cool. I'm so into yeah. that as you knowing your brand answer. That's so good. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so... Uh, and because I'm also a second city person, do, which did you find mm-hmm. or which do you find more fun? Like if improv were to pay in any form or fashion, would you do improv mm. over stand up? And is it is stand up attractive because it pays or it could pay? Or do you like the no, it's my idea, my writing. I don't have to worry about anybody else. Yeah, the uh, it's probably the latter. It's probably that I want to be speaking my own words. But I will say uh, the improv is so fun to do. You're there with your best friends in the world. You're making stuff up. People are laughing. It's so sexy and fun. Uh, if if you were going to pay me a million dollars a year, I would absolutely do improv. But there is definitely something to me. I, I love to write and I love to say things to people. But I did, I actually had a tough experience. Speaking of, you know, I only have to depend on myself. Um, that theater we were talking about before, the Annoyance Theater in New York, it was so, so fun. I met all of my best friends there. And 
then the theater, because of financial issues, had to shut down after a few years. And then there wasn't really a home base for a while. Um, the incredible Philip Markle ended up opening a theater called the Brooklyn Comedy Collective a couple years later, which we've all done stuff at now, and I love it there, and it feels like a home there. But there was this really, really rude awakening. We were doing all this fun, silly stuff in, in sketch teams and improv teams, and all of a sudden, when there was no hub for that, it became, oh, no one is going to help me. I have to be able to do this by myself and whip it out whenever. So a ton of people turned into really strict stand-ups from that um, because it, I mean, it hurt a little, but you learn not in a jaded way that like, not that the only person you can depend on is yourself, but you can always depend on yourself. I'm a new, say like, I've just started, I just moved to New York. I just started comedy. I'm, Mm -hmm you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed because I'm only 23. What would you tell someone with that exact description without without being, like, too honest about, like, get ready? But, like, what would you say if you were going to be encouraging? Yeah, I would say, get ready for hell. You're going <laughs> to die. Just kidding. No, what I would say is, I would say, first of all, go take some incredible improv classes at the Brooklyn Comedy Collective. If I love it there, you'll meet a bunch of friends and you'll all come up together. Uh, Just start writing, even if you don't do anything with it. Just get in the habit and I think you'll start having a really fun time writing. And once you make that group of friends, focus on each other, have fun with each other. You will all come up together. There's not a lot of use in trying to appeal to people who already have what you want to get to one day because those people are totally kind but they already have it and they have so many wonderful friends and if an opportunity comes their way they're gonna they're gonna give it to their friend not not the uh, child begging and hoping the people you should depend on and and want to work with are the people right at your level that you love because you will all lift each other up and you'll always have each other. That's such sage advice that I have never heard before. And it's you're right. I mean, if you think about it's not that people at a certain level of success are being jerks. It's just they have their mm-hmm. circle of friends like that has been vetted and that they know that they can trust. It's such a great point. And so not so much that they won't help it's just there's already a line of people in front of them Mm -hmm. who they want to help so adding another person to the list is not impossible but it's not ideal oof that's really you are very wise no i did i i mean it comes out of spending years being like i guess a little jealous i'd be like oh why don't i have that thing why won't that person give me that thing and then i I came to realize that's such a silly way of thinking. Well, and it's, I mean, I don't know that, I don't think you were being silly so much as it's this sort of misunderstanding of just the reality Mm. of the situation. And that's not, I mean, like I've been in the grind forever and I really hadn't thought of that, that it is, it's not an issue of it being some sort of personal, like you're not good enough. It's just, there's other people in that space. And would you agree that's like the least fun thing about doing all of this? It's all of the homework. Yes. 
Yes. It's the, it's yes, because we're creatives and like, I'm a Pisces. I just want to like be in the flow. I'm not trying to like be locked down, but yeah, that is the stuff that I I guess now in theater school, I don't know if, if the experimental theater wing did this, but they're offering, Mm -hmm. um, acting as a business classes that are like going over Uh all of this stuff. And I'm like, that's it. I mean, that's 90% of what we should be learning. I did some classes in the um, film and TV acting studio too. They went over that stuff a little, but I just daydream about like one day I'll have a personal assistant and I won't talk to anyone except my best friend. <laughs> Relatable. Oh. Okay. Well, so get us up to, so that's how they can see you live. Um, can they buy your mm-hmm. uh, second EP? And for, and I think it's crazy that you have two. Um, can they, or can they buy <laughs> <laughs> can they buy your things and give um, you money? They must be able to. They You must be able to on Apple Music, I suppose, because you could not, you know, other, rather than streaming that, you can own it outright. If you really want to pay me, please DM me on Instagram and we'll have a long talk. Great, great. I wish more people, when I ask that question, I'm like, I'm going to start throwing out my Venmo when I'm getting asked on podcasts. Like, I'm going to be like, here's my Absolutely. Venmo. Like, yeah, uh, <laughs> At Ian Dash Lockwood. At if you, Ian if you are absolutely rolling, uh, laughing at this podcast, give <laughs> me a tip. Listen, even like if they just want to support the amazing work you're doing because you're very funny, but Thanks. also you're doing cool, weird stuff. Okay, well, that is that is our appetizer. So, folks, we hope you enjoyed your apps. We're going to move on to the entrees after a quick break. We are back, and now it's time for the entrees. Okay, Ian, now you very lovingly, um, you're such a sweetheart. You said you've listened to a few episodes, so you get how this works. Uh, The very first question, as Mm -hmm. always, what was your first job ever? Now, we get lots of answers for this, but what was your first job ever? My first job ever was working for the city of Calabasas Media Department as a paid intern, and I did get that check. Thank you. Okay. And I got... (laughs) Okay. And it was actually such a fun job. Uh, so I did kind of work in an office, but it was it was working in essentially a little tiny town's public access. So I got to like produce some little segments and uh, that was the most fun thing I did. But uh, most of the job, and this was funny, r- really fun and silly too, was going to the city council meetings where very crazy citizens show up to have grievances and running the multicam for the live broadcast of these events. So I had three cameras and three little keyboard buttons just to switch between them and I could zoom and and one of them I could move a little bit. Um, so I basically just, I wasn't in the room, I was in the booth up, up watching it all. I was like literally in the back of the room in an elevated booth. Uh, and I would point the camera at these crazy people and hear what they had to say about why they were mad at the city. Oh, you have to tell me right now, what was the wildest, some of the wildest stuff you heard there? It was a long, long time ago. I was 15, so that was almost like four years ago now. But the... um, (laughs) Keep it moving. Yep, that's right. And I mean, people were coming to talk about like the additions they wanted to build all the time, you know, the second houses, but... The craziest stuff was people would come to absolutely air personal grievances against individual city council members. What? They they'd like and they'd always come with a fake reason. They they'd be like, 
I want to do this thing you've told me I'm not legally allowed to do 20 times. And the, you know, one city council person would be like, you can't do it. And she'd be like, you know what, Ryan, here's what I have to say to you. Oh my that God. was the funniest. A lot of people throwing around like, you don't care about this town. That was like the biggest insult. It was like, you don't care about the city of Calabasas. How dare you sit up there? <laughs> Wait, okay. So I think because like the so the uh, Kardashians live in Hidden Hills, which is like this really secretive, exclusive neighborhood in Calabasas. And so uh, yeah, I think- it's not a real town. No, it's definitely not, but they think it is. Uh, but it's interesting for mm. people outside of Los Angeles to think of LA having small towns, but LA is so massive mm-hmm. that there have to be little small towns in it because it's, ju- I mean, it's mm-hmm. just a bajillion people. So you almost, it, you, you create an enclave of wherever you live and you kind of just don't go further than that because traffic sucks and Calabasas is set pretty far outside of like like you Mm -hmm. can you know it's accessible by the 101 but you can't I mean it's not close to a lot of stuff and so I feel like I don't know if you felt this way growing up but everything you need is kind of right there so you don't really ever have to leave Calabasas is that was that true for you I never went into Los Angeles proper, proper my entire my entire childhood. Um, I started going close to it, like when I would start taking classes at the UCB when I was 16. But for the most part, I had like good beach access. So I would drive down to the beach from my hometown. But you're completely right. It's everything is so spread out in Los Angeles that every town, it kind of in a weird way, um, escapes suburbification yeah. uh, where each suburb does need to be self-sufficient. So we had mo- we had two malls. We have three movie theaters. We, 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 yeah, we, it was everything you could ever want in that town. So uh, they became really protective of this town. It has its own culture. It has its borders. They're, the people who live there, like, you would think if you lived in a suburb, if you live in a suburb of New York, you're just like, I live in I live in New York. I go into New York constantly. That's why I live here. There are people in Calabasas who haven't left Calabasas in a year, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, I believe that. And it does it's it is a protected space far enough outside of LA that you can, I mean, cause if you ask people where they're from, they'll say Calabasas. And I don't just mean if you Absolutely. ask them where they're from in LA, like if you ask them out in the world, mm-hmm. they're like Calabasas and people are like, well, I don't know where that is. And it's like, how do you not know where that is? <laughs> is the understand, you know, it's I like, like, I say the suburbs of Los Angeles and then, but I'm like so ready to say Calabasas. Cause I know when I say it, people are, if you've seen the Kardashians, like we're going to talk about it for a minute and then we're going to move on. Yeah. That's very true. Um, was that when you keep getting into it though? I'm so curious. Was it a big (laughs) show? Cause it's been on for 600 years. Did you, was it a big show when you were in high school and college, like around that time? I know you didn't go to college in LA, but was it already on the Mm -hmm. air? Yes. Calabasas had some reality shows already. It uh, was the home of newlyweds uh, with Jessica Simpson. And- Nuh-uh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So there was already the tradition. And also, like, the reality execs, like, they live in Calabasas, so it's easy for them. Uh, yeah. I did exactly. not think of they that. Shoot. They get to work local. Oh, yeah. my God. Um, so Kardashians must have come out when I was in middle school. And it started the same way, sort of, isn't this so funny that this is in our town? And then it started to explode. And there became a really specific awareness when I was in high school of like, oh, we live in the town from this show, uh, which is 
so weird. It's almost like it's it's as if you live in Salem, Massachusetts. Yeah. Right before the it witches becomes the witch town. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so all of a sudden, it became the Kardashian town, and uh, there was a race to like be ironic about it and, and get over <laughs> that information, but it never goes away ever. A race to be ironic is. I, I have to find some way to work that in your to your the title of your episode. Uh, I love that so much. Yes. <laughs> okay. And so, because well, what are you going to do? Like, are you going to be like, oh no, I don't don't talk to me about this show, or are you going to be like, yes, I live in that town and I love it, and let me talk to you. But you just have to get over it as quickly as you can, of course, and not feel cool and want nothing to do with it. I get mm-hmm. it. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so your first job since you were working at city council and things, did that, mm-hmm. was there ever an, in, an intersection when you're like filming some of the city council where someone comes in and is like the traffic from the Kardashians or the, you know, all the paparazzi and stuff is making me crazy. Like get them out of this town. Was there ever any of that? No, because they didn't. But the city hall is close to the mall, but mostly they filmed at the mall, especially in that time. Uh, and they they were at the mall constantly. They had a store in the mall. It was great. Um, Dash. Uh, that was at the mall? There might be still some surviving dashes. It was at this like little strip mall right next to the fancy mall. Oh, my gosh. Um, I didn't know that. That's so funny. Admit that. Of course not. Um, I did hear some grumbling from like permits about like them not getting permission to film at certain times, but I was mostly divorced from it. I will say, and I, I might get, I might get sued. So I'll just say like, <laughs> this is hearsay. This is alleged. I did uh, almost get in a car crash with Chris Kardashian twice. That's so funny. Well, because when you watch the show, you see her like speaking into her speakerphone that she holds up in her hand uh-huh. while she's driving. I don't think she really does that when she's like on the highway, but she does do it in allegedly in uh, like mall parking lots. So both times we almost had a little collision. It was in a mall parking lot. Oh my God. God bless. Shout out to you calling her Chris Kardashian too. I'm, I'm that's, that's on record and I love it. Chris, I'm living for it. I love her. Yeah. I love her so much. Okay. So, oh. so you, oh, Chris did, Jenner, you're right. No, oh ca- no, do not correct. No, Chris Kardashian. It's funnier. <sighs> and at the time, it, no, she was still Chris Jenner. No. <laughs> no, I think it's funnier. How many customer service mm-hmm. jobs have you had total? Would you say that? Okay. There are two ways to think about this. Number one, in terms of being true customer service, which I'm going to say is retail or restaurants. Okay. Only one and one, literally one shift. I have to know. We can get into that. Yes. But uh, a lot, pretty much almost all of my jobs have been customer facing. Uh, After the city, I worked for my dad a little while. He uh, runs a little business called Tech Lease. If you, hey, anyone listening, if you need 1,000 computers leased to you, hit him up. DM me on Instagram if you need 1,000 computers. Um, (laughs) I worked for him both. Yeah. Yeah. Right now. I do. Yeah, I do. Thank you. you. Uh I will get you set up (laughs) with a great deal. for him, I was both being, he, he kind of tried to get me to be like a little bit of a commission salesman, but I was so shy. Aww. So that was customer service. But I also ran his eBay store selling uh, the the old stock. And that was very customer facing too. Uh, I have worked as an improv teacher, an intern for that film and TV acting studio, uh, both sort of customer service facing certainly dealing with kids and sometimes parents. Um, And ever since this 
very transformative. Uh, well, actually, it was after the internship, but pretty much after this transformative single shift uh, working customer service, I hopped into uh, tech because I knew so many of my acting school friends were going into uh, restaurants. And I was like, I know from this experience, I can't do that. <laughs> so I went into tech and most of my tech jobs as actually a computer programmer were very like, oh, the customer is asking if you can make this for them. And I'd be like, sure, I'll get on the phone with them. I'll make them a thing. Uh, so it was customer facing in that way. But I mean, should I just should I just get into it? I mean, I, I'm, I'm dying. And so is the whole audience. We're all guessing. So you have to just tell us. Okay. <laughs> Believe this if I'm going to get sued. I worked one shift for the standard grill at the standard hotel in meatpacking. I have every I have every and question. Okay, hold on. I'm I'm coloring the world for people who don't know. So the st- the standard is a hotel that is now actually has gone out of business in, on the Sunset Strip, but it it's the hotel that when Carrie and crew in Sex and the City come to Los Angeles, mm-hmm. they stay in it and it's the one with the guy behind the check-in counter who's in nothing but a but a speedo just sitting there being hot which is a real thing that happened at that hotel Mm -hmm. there would be people that were hired to just be hot there and it's known for its sign being upside down and there is still a standard Mm -hmm. i believe downtown in los angeles i think it's an l it was a hotel that started in la i think that one's still around i know the one on sunset is Mm -hmm. no more but um the meatpacking district in new york if you've never been or if you don't know is like the hot area it used to be terribly dangerous and a lot of sex workers mm-hmm. got a lot of work there and literally was an industry area for butchers and meat packing. That's literally what it used to be. And it became this sexy, like tons of million dollar lofts area. And now it's like mm-hmm. the spot to live still. I would assume, I think, I think it's still the spot to be. You tell me you're in New York. Yeah. So I mean, if you can find afford it. there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so the standard yeah. hotel, tell they're probably attracted a very specific type of human that could afford their hotels which are probably what like they 500 a night would be my guess minimum yeah i would guess okay so ian you're up do tell what happened (laughs) (laughs) the customers were lovely this was between my junior and senior year at college and i wanted to as many kids I'm sure, who want to stay in their town after college do. I wanted to spend that summer uh, in my college town, which happened to be New York City. Uh, my dad uh, is is a good man who has taught me many good lessons. And he said to me, of course, uh, that if I wanted to live in the city for the summer, I obviously had to, you know, pay my own rent, like live there myself. I had to have a job. I couldn't just be a student on break, uh, which was different because I loved, you know, going back to their place for the summer and just not having a job and hanging out by the pool. It was great. But that seemed completely fair to me. And so I did what everyone else was going to do when they graduated and I wanted to get a head start. I got a service job at the restaurant, uh, at the Standard Grill. I was a busboy for one shift. And uh, there were three uh, little restaurants at the Standard. There's the main restaurant, there's the grill, and then there is the hotel restaurant. And it's mostly outside, and that's that's where I was. So uh, I get this job, and I sure I'm sure this is not a stretch for anyone listening who works in service. But you know, they were taking lots of people, and it was a bit of a mess over there. All of the tips were pooled. That becomes very important later. 
They were pooled tips based on a point system. <laughs> Kate, yes. I am rolling my eyes yes. so hard. My eyes are going to fall out of my skull. That point system shit. I fucking, it makes me so angry. Keep going. Yeah. But like, I mean, the bus boys kind of need tips too. So they, the bus boys would get like a lower percentage. Um, but yeah, the tips were pulled and that's very important for later. So everything's already a little bit sketchy and I get a crash course in what it's like to be in the service industry in a pretty unforgiving environment. I'm of course told this isn't going to sound foreign to anyone that, um, certainly I can't have my phone out, but also that I cannot take a seat at any time. And if there is nothing for me to do, not to take a seat hidden, but rather to find something to do. Yes, Kate. I'm flipping Kate, off the camera. Kate's holding up a middle finger. I, like, what? What is that? What is the? What is the? What is the? Oh, keep going, keep going. So I did a shift from I think four p.m. to two or three a.m. Uh, and or yeah. Uh, oh wait, a four to two, right? Because it was eight hours. Uh, and I had to be on my feet the entire time and working the entire time. Every once in a while, I could like step into the corner where I couldn't be seen, but still be on my feet uh, and and go around. That was pretty bad. Uh, I was not equipped to that. I was working a lot of little office internships before this. Uh, and this certainly has made me feel that people who work in restaurants and retail uh, have a much harder job than certainly anything I did in like tech. It's way harder to be on your feet for eight hours constantly working. So that that's the setting, and that was not fun. And then I got bullied. What? I got bullied. So the manager was giving me these harsh rules, but like trying to keep me around, could tell I was like a college kid and I could follow and I, I'd be a good asset. The two head waiters were uh, working or not working actors in New York City. Ha! And what a read. <laughs> pulled me aside. I can never know for sure if this was bullying, but they pulled me aside to tell me. They, they got pretty up in my face to like tall gay guys. I'm a short gay guy, very different. Uh, they got up in my face and they said, you don't want to work here. This place is a sinking ship. I promise working here is horrible. You should get out now while you can. That doesn't really explain why they were working. What I believe was happening and what I felt, because it did feel very intimidating, was that these guys wanted to pool their tips less. With If they were understaffed, they would get more tips from the rich clientele. Oh, my! you're right. No question. You're a hundred percent right. So that if they could, if they always talked the new person out of being there, they would perpetually be understaffed. Yes. And they were constantly understaffed. So I think that's what it was. It, they could have been being nice, but it did, it did not feel that way. But it was so, so hard. I, I called my dad from the bathroom and I said, I called him crying from the bathroom and I said, <laughs> I promise I'm going to finish this shift, even though I'm only halfway through and I know I really don't want to do this. I promise to, you know, to to make you proud and show that I did it. I will finish out this shift. But I can I please do something else? Do you mind if I use my savings for the next couple of weeks to find a different job? I'll go really aggressively. And I did 
find an internship, a paid internship at that acting studio. I just hit up everyone I knew. I was like, can I please work for you? They let me work for them. It was a great summer, but it was a horrible <laughs> experience. And when I got off at two, I was living, okay, I was living on Roosevelt Island. You have to tell people. Which is an island. You have to tell, you have to explain okay, this. for the listeners. This is an island in the middle of the Hudson River. Uh, <laughs> so Between bad. like the Upper East Side of New York <laughs> and Queens. There's only a bridge going to it for cars from Queens and there's only one road. It's like a weird isolated island. Um, that a bridge goes over. It's almost impossible to get to. If you've seen Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, um, when the Green Goblin cuts, a, <laughs> you, you, you'll see a scene, you'll be like, why is there a tram in New York City? The Green <laughs> Goblin cuts it, and he's like, he almost kills everyone on the tram. That tram is what goes from Manhattan to, to Roosevelt, Roosevelt Island. Island. <sighs> uh, it's so weird. It's so random. And when I got off that horrible first shift, none of the trains were, were running. running to my home. Oh, my God. So... Ultimately, even though I had already like given up, I was like, okay, and this wouldn't have worked anyway. So I'm glad I didn't keep trying. Well, because you would have had to spend money on like an Uber or a Lyft or something to get to to home. And like by the time you spend that going two ways, like that was your there were your, went your tips. That's it's not even financially. Yeah, okay, worth if I'm it. being honest, there was a train running, but it was the F train every 45 minutes. No. So after that horrible shift, I waited 45 minutes. That's insane. Well, I don't if you don't know Manhattan or if you don't know the train system there, like. That's sitting there waiting for 45 minutes at a station. You are a sitting duck. And if the option is we'll go above ground, <laughs> literally like mm-hmm. I'll, there was a time when I, I was so naive when I lived there and I had this couple walk up to me at like 2 AM and I was getting off at like the Lincoln center exit, like, and they, it's 63rd mm-hmm. and something. And they were walking up to me and they, and I got scared cause they were, cause I had just been out that night and they were like, what the hell are you doing on the train by yourself at this hour at this stop? And I was like, cause I gotta get home. And they were like, we are walking you home. And like an idiot, I should have been like, I don't trust you oh. either. Like get away from me. No. But they, but they walked me back to my, the apartment where I was staying because I didn't know. And like, as they were walking me, I was like, Oh, this is a little scary. This is a little dumb. So yeah, yeah. you don't have, I mean, even if you were 62, like it's still, it's not, it's not smart. So I totally see the lack of appeal for that. Were you able to go collect the tips that you would have earned on that shift? Or was that a training shift? I do think they did. Uh, the, the tips go weren't cash. They would come into your check, check actually. Oh, okay. I do think I got paid for that shift. Awesome. Nice. No, wait, by the way, to your point, so many nights in college and the couple of years after being in the subway at like 3 a.m. completely by myself, so drunk, I'm like clearly swaying back and forth. The fact that nothing ever happened to me, uh, God bless the people of New York. Thank you for not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, thank you for not seeing that I was an easy target. Oh, God bless. Oh okay. God. I was so easy. So you were, li- did you live in Roosevelt Island during the school year as well? Or was that literally just for the summer because you weren't yeah. living in the dorms? It was my senior year uh, and and then a year after. It was why I had a great time on Roosevelt. You did. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's a, yeah. I wonder if it's like a hidden gem. I don't even think I've ever been onto it because I think I've just heard all about it. And the Hudson gets its own reputation. A lot of bodies in the Hudson, if anyone's ever wondering about crime. Yeah, true, true. (laughs) I'll I'll give like this endorsement and, and an endorsement of it. Uh, it's like the only place in the city where white snow falls and sticks to the ground because there are no cars. It's so beautiful. Oh, that um, would be lovely. And like 
It's beautiful. Like pigeons roost in the grass, which is really funny. Uh, they just, it, It's actually quite pretty and it's kind of an unbeatable view. It's also because it's surrounded on water by all sides, always like 10 degrees colder. Okay. Well, in the summer, that would be pretty great. That's that's okay. Summer, incredible. Winter, a little rough. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. Okay. So yeah. you so total, you said you've only had one customer service job for one shift. You uh, Hats off to you. You get the trophy for the millions of interviews I've done. You are the first and only person to have <laughs> one customer service job that equated to one shift. So uh, I have just Fair. a little, little clap. People are going to be excited. So I'll Thank find you. some ribbon Thank for you. you. <laughs> okay. So you said, uh, now I have a lot of strong opinions about being an improv teacher because because I have heard many oh, yeah. a story. So when you said sometimes with the parents, what was the age range of people you were teaching? And what was the worst interaction you had with a parent in regards to improvising with their children or teaching them how to? I was actually teaching college and I didn't have a horrible time with parents. I was, I was when I was interning at uh, that film and intelligent acting studio, which is called Stone Street uh, and is great. Uh, I pitched to them that I could run improv club at lunch and they were like oh absolutely we'll pay you a little extra which was really really nice and so the only the the parent comment I once got which was so funny was there was an overactive parent who asked each of the teachers like how's my student doing is there anything they can do better and they also asked me the lunchtime improv teacher (laughs) please (laughs) which was very funny Um, but that was actually a blast getting to teach kids that were like a year younger than me improv and they all, but they all showed me a surprising amount of respect. It was really nice. And I actually taught Beanie Feldstein. Really? so I like to take a lot of credit for all of her success. I think that's really neat. And that, is that Jonah Hill's sister? Yes. That's what I thought. And so she probably didn't need my help. Yes, she did. I like to think that I gave her a lot. You're right. He dropped his last name. She would be nothing. 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 True. Good job, Ian Lockwood. Nothing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Although, did you know he's going by Feldstein again? He's going back to, he wants his professional. Yeah. He wanted to change it. This was like before all of the, you know, stuff that's currently happening. He, He really was like... I think I need to go back to my roots and like honor that. I don't know if it's changed on IMDb mm. or in any of his like movie credits, but he said he's going to start going by that. That's so interesting. I, I feel like Beanie should be like, no, that's mine. Well, and especially because he's already established as Jonah Hill. Like, I don't know what your point. I mean, I, I guess you yeah. want to embrace your roots, but like you, that's like Tom Cruise being like, I'm Chris Davison now. And you're like, what the fuck? What? Okay. So I'm going to say, because you've only had that one shift and we already know you didn't like it. You had said that you were like selling old stock eBay for your dad's company. Then Mm -hmm. you've done computer computer programming is very much a solo journey from what I know. But there's a fair amount in my opinion of at least customer interaction with comedy and being a public figure, which you are. So do you have any, because I don't want to ask this as some of the standard relax audience. I'm not asking all the standard questions because it won't work. So we're going to ask more fun questions. So (laughs) do you feel like you would have stayed at the standard grill if those two people hadn't like hazed you out of the job or were you already like, I'm drowning. This ain't for me. And then it just took them setting you over the edge because I'm wondering if there was any piece of that job that you were like okay customer service is hard but like the money's really good or you know there's other aspects of this that I really could see myself doing or was it like they just set you over the edge of a teetering experience anyway I was not having fun at all there was no part of it that was fun to me okay uh but I could see myself 
suffering. I like to think I'm a somewhat strong person despite only doing one shift at the standard. <laughs> and I could have probably suffered. Honestly, I think I'm thankful to them because as I described it to you with your experience, I could already see you knew it was a bad situation, but I didn't necessarily know that. Sure. And when they kind of cornered me and bullied me, I knew something was off, even though they lied, theoretically, you know, they they were saying that they were being nice to me, but I could tell, I mean, either way, either it was a sinking ship or I was being bullied. So it was kind of the push I needed. And I'm glad I, I did not stay there. Oh, yeah. And what was it? Did someone did you have a connection to that particular location? Or did you just like find the help wanted online or something like that, that made you apply? Because that's such a specific like high end dining, even to be a bus person at high end dining is super hard. So like why that location? I'll give myself this. I am persistent and I, uh, when my back's against the wall, I do what I need to do. So when my back was against the wall, after this, I applied to a million places and got that internship. Before this, you know, my dad said, you know, get a job or else you're coming home. So I applied to, I want to, I think maybe 200. I believe that. With no experience. And this place was like, we'll take anyone. Uh, gee, I wonder why. <laughs> it's because we have two people that are pushing everyone out. So we have to turn <laughs> and burn. I get that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The point system thing for people who don't, um, I don't know that we've described, we might have in all of our episodes, but I don't remember recently talking about the point system. It's a, mm. I totally agree with you. I think that bus people should be tipped. I think it's really hard and it smells and you are often stopped and you're mm-hmm. doing part of the server's job too, because you're refilling a water or you're, you know, whatever. So I totally think that they earn those tips, but the point system would be like, if it's a, if there are 10 points then available, then the bartender counts for, uh, I don't know, six, Mm -hmm. the server counts for four, um, you know, and then, oh no, that's 10. So whatever you, you basically, you (laughs) divvy up the 10. I can't do math. I'm a creative professional, you know, everyone relax. You break up whatever the points are that they've decided for the night. So they'll say the night is worth 10 points. And then each position gets a certain amount of that. And then if you are the server, you tip out according to the points. And if you're the bartender, you tip out according to the points. Mm. It's just a, it's a breakdown that I think is crappy because it's, it's a pooled house, which means they basically see the final total of all the tips. So you personally could be like, Oh shit, I just got a hundred bucks. Like that feels amazing. But then in your head, you're like, a, am I ever going to see that? No, probably not. And B you just assume cause it goes to the final total you're like, I hope I make a hundred bucks tonight, but you see that tip and there, there could be a night where you personally get that amount and you don't see a hundred dollars. You see less than that. And that part is infuriating when you're waiting tables. Cause say you only got like one really good table. Then you're like, cool. And, and now on the nights where you get stiffed 57 times, you're like, well, shit, mm-hmm. this was pretty great. So I guess law of averages, it's not that bad, but it's so demoralizing when you see like, really good tips you worked your ass off for and then you see your final check breakdown for that night and you're like okay that's definitely less than i was given 
It just doesn't yeah. feel great. Yeah, it makes sense as like a pseudo solution if you buy into the idea that people working in restaurants like can can make a non-living wage that gets brought up by tips. Uh, it only makes sense as a solution in, in that case. If you're like paying everyone what they're worth and then it's like, no, I'm keeping my tips. The busboy gets paid, you know, 20 an hour. So it's great. But yeah, it's it's sticky. It's not a good system. How do you feel? Okay, so you, since you brought it up, how do you, what do you, do you like tipping culture? And if you don't, what's the solution? Okay, I do hate tipping culture. Um, and I think that tipping culture, I mean, I don't think it's, rude or or unholy to admit that like when you see the price of something is is one thing and then you are asked to tip at the end it it scares you if you have any worry about money in your life it scares you because you went out and you got you got a five dollar coffee and uh, copy coffee and now it's pretty customary and and i totally do tip every time tip a, a dollar on your five dollar coffee but if you have any worry about money, you're like, oh, God, I signed up for a five dollar coffee and I paid for a six dollar coffee. And it so I do not blame people for feeling really negatively about tipping because it, it's not a fun experience. It's always an after experience. I like the way they do it in Europe. I like how they bring the little card machine to your table and tipping's not expected. Uh, and I think it just requires everyone being paid what they're actually worth and enough to live. But I don't see the out, honestly. You don't. So you, I mean, because you're right. I think it's, I agree with you. And I think it's very easy to say, well, the corporations should pay the workers more, but we know they're not going to. Like, I don't I don't mm -hmm. foresee McDonald's being like, you know what, we're going to start paying people 35 an hour because that is the minimum mm -hmm. that they say that it costs to to just be a single person in the city of Los Angeles is like the minimum you mm -hmm. can make is 35 an hour. And like, I just don't see it. I just don't. I mean, I agree with you. Like, and not that we tip at McDonald's. That was a bad example. But like, you know, at least in California yeah. or Los well, Angeles. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you. I wish I, you know, I was hoping you'd have the solution, Ian. Um, cause I certainly don't either. No, I guess I'll say this. Here's what I'll say. Okay. The one thing, if, if I don't feel like we can get to that end, uh, the one thing I'll ask is if you are an older person listening to us right now, just take one second to try to readjust today dollars to what the dollars were when you were growing up. Because that is, everyone who works in the service, I'm sure I'm not the first bring, person to bring this up, but the living wage is like a big deal for people who work in the service industry. And people go, 15 an hour, that's crazy. When I would, you know, sure, it, it was five an hour when I was wor uh, 16 years old, but it, it can't be at 15, maybe 10, I, I don't know. But it's like, girl, we've actually been talking about 15 an hour so long that it's honestly 20, 20. an hour now. It's that 20. Need. Yeah. So, yeah. So just like look up how much houses cost around you. Look up how much bills are. And, and that's the work you can do to help people who need to have a living wage. I totally agree. Do you think that the model of tipping uh, like... Do you feel like it has, it, I mean, this is such a leading question, but do you feel like it's transitioned into obligation or do you think that people, I'm not rightly or wrongly, do you think people still have the choice or do you think now it's just like, no, the expe it's the expectation, like you will be tipping. It's just the amount of, it's the issue of the amount. 
I think it's the expectation. If somebody were considering not tipping, I'd consider them a bad person. If they tried to hit me with, well, the service was horrible, I'd be like, yeah, well, maybe they are having a bad day because they don't make any money. Definitely obligatory. When I was working in tech, I'm a, I'm a full-time comedian now, so I pinch my pennies a little harder. Proud of you. Uh, yeah. Yay. I, thank you. When I was working in tech, so I'll still like tip a little extra if I thought somebody did something like amazing or I had a great time with them or they were really nice or, or what have you, but I'll always tip a, a good amount anyway. But when I was in te- tech, I was, and I was, you know, rolling in the dough. I was like, you know what? Let me, let me tip like 50%. Let me wow. let me give you an extra like twenty bucks if if I can, um, but so few people can do that, and I could only do it for a little while. So I think it's a broken system. I don't disagree. Um, and is there anything that would ever make you not tip? Mm. <laughs> I guess if someone was like straight up homophobic to me, is there anything? I'm trying to think of something like funny that would make me not tip i mean yeah like endangering someone's life with a food allergy well but that would just be a mistake you know what maybe the funny answer here is like unless you're gonna call me the f slur to my face i'm probably gonna give you at least a 20 percent tip this is the thing i mean this is what we talk about now what if i i come up to your table and i'm like what do you want and i maintain this energy the whole time and i'm like uh, you tell me you're like, Oh, you know, I can't have an IPA. And I'm like, well, then I can't bring you any beer. And you're like, okay, uh, I'll have a soda. We don't have any soda. All right. A water. Great. You'll have a water. What else? Like, this is how I maintain with you the whole time. Or I'm like, what do you want? And I'm treating you like this and I'm at a 10 and I'm like, just mm-hmm. tell me, but neither of those scenarios, you're, you're going to stiff me. I'm still tipping at least 18% because here's the thing. Well, I think, Honestly, okay, this kind of gets into my one pre-saved answer to a question I think you might ask me later about advice for uh, for dealing with service people. But I, I think because of that horrible one shift of seeing just how bad it can be, I like to think I'd have this empathy either way, but maybe that helped. I just unfortunately have too much empathy for how hard the job is. And if so I would my advice would have been like adjust yourself to the service worker. I don't I don't think you're the privileged princess here. I think if they're being chatty and fun, give it back to them. If they're having clearly a horrible time, be like they don't want to deal with me. <laughs> so even in those situations I'd be like this person is having a bad day and I feel bad for them. I will still tip them the normal amount. That's amazing. Okay. I, I, I pushed you. Is that too much empathy? No. I feel like dads are out there listening and being like, what a, what a fool. <laughs> well, you know, the answer I often get from people who have continually worked in the service industry is like, we all kind of say like, if we give you 15%, that's our, that's our version of stiffing because 15 is just yeah. like not enough for cost of living wage and things like that. And I think like mm-hmm. I, there are scenarios where I won't tip and that's like hard to admit, but they're like, I have been in, situations where I'm, I shouldn't say I won't tip, but like I'll leave a buck in something that required probably mm-hmm. five because I do think that like, and I've been disagreed by many guests have disagreed with me on this, but I do think a tip is a gift. And so yes, societally, mm-hmm. I think we have set the expectation that a tip is coming and like, obviously it's preset on the receipt and like, or it's, you know, something you can put on the iPad or whatever. 
But I do think that we've slipped into this idea of expectation. And I think the only way the system gets better is if it's not a sustainable system. And currently with tipping culture, the way it is, it's sustainable because we put the onus on the shoulders of the consumer to solve it so that I still want to bartend or I still want to work at a restaurant. As soon as you can't get employees, which is kind of what happened during COVID that everyone's beating that really tired drum of nobody wants to work. And you said this earlier on this episode, you know, if you pay people what they're worth, they'll do the job. Like some people actually, God love them, enjoy doing food service. But for those people, you know, if, if there is no safety net of a tip, like if people just collectively are like, fuck this, then the system will change. The problem is there's a lot of Gen Zers now, which I think you probably fall into that category, but not of the not tipping, but there's Gen Zers mm-hmm. who are yeah, like, I am 19. You're right. I know you are. You look great. Um, you said it, you said it on the episode. So yeah, of course. Yeah. So the Gen Zers, what they're doing to make up for what we millennials did wrong in their eyes is like, we became the generation of over tipping. And so they're the way they're solving it in their minds is they're just, they are just conditionally writing zero on everything. Like this is this trend. And there's like a TikTok trend of like tips, tip nothing and like show your work or whatever, because they're, they're saying in their tiny little lizard brains that haven't fully formed yet. They're like, this is what solves it. This is what gets the tipping culture to change. And it's like, boo boo, yeah, maybe if you sent the memo out to everybody, but just you handful mm-hmm. of 19 year olds who aren't going to Morton's and getting a steak, like you're not, you're screwing over the barista for the two bucks you didn't leave her, but it it's a systemic issue. And so it's like, why don't you go take on capitalism instead of screwing over the worker? But it makes me sound hi- hypocritical because I'm like, but the solution is not mm-hmm. tip. The solution is getting rid of the net. So I don't know. I mean, it is, it's a systemic thing, but it is interesting that like you got that much empathy in one shift because the longstanding thought is like, everybody should have to be a server or bartender for a week and just, just to experience how Mm. we can be treated. But I think, I think it'd be fair to say you already are an empathetic person and that shift just made you maybe more overly generous, but anyway, that's a long lecture at you for an episode where I'm interviewing you, but I just, yeah, I think the issue is systemic. That's the, that's the show. Yeah, I think so too. And I got a little empathy from like being a commission salesman, being sure. customer facing and a lot of the things, but I think even one shift will, will illuminate things to people. And I think you make a great point about paying people what they're worth. I have, I mean, I have done the same computer programming job in a very similar uh, environment where both times I was responding really directly to a customer. Like, I'd be getting on the phone with them. They'd be changing their mind constantly about what they wanted. Um, and, you know, I just have to put in the time to keep trying. And it was really frustrating. But in one of those situations, I was being asked to stay late, working too long, not being paid quite enough. And in one of those situations, it was kind of exactly the same vibe but I was being paid way better and it was truly a nine to five. And it was like, you don't finish by five. Well, you're not allowed to start again until nine. The way it was exactly the same job, but the latter I was so, so fine with. I mean, it's it's not that fulfilling to like have an annoying customer who changes their mind all the time and not have ownership of your work, but it's so tolerable to be there and so intolerable to be underpaid, overworked and treated like shit. Well, that right. We could just end the episode there. That part, (laughs) that part. 
Uh, yeah, the being able to be t- to tolerate it. I've always wondered because I've never worked fast food, and I wonder if you ever think about this. Whenever I go into a fast mm-hmm. food restaurant, I'm always like, how do these people stomach the repetition, and that they're going they're coming to this oh. job five days a week making the same move with I know that what I've been told from people who've done it is like they do move you around in the shift so that you don't actually go crazy mm-hmm. but there are certain sta- times when you actually like the like put on the cheese lettuce tomato clothes cheese lettuce tomato clothes cheese like, because then you can sort of numb out and so some people really enjoy it but how how do you think you would tolerate the repetition I do not think I would tolerate it well. You're you're completely <laughs> going to expose me as being like a, a somebody who believes in like art communes as being the future of society. But <laughs> I just don't think people are like built for that. This is why. I mean, I I am actually really vocal about service being the hardest job in the world. Uh, I mean, service and like factory work, anything sure. this repetitive, because were my tech jobs stressful? Sure. But was I also getting to like be creative and like sit through boring meetings where I don't actually have to do anything and get off early some days? Absolutely. So I do not think I could stomach that repetition. And I kind of think that people shouldn't have to. It's such an interesting point. I hadn't even, it's this, this is how entrenched in capitalism I am. I'm like, wait, is there a world in which we don't have to do all of that? (laughs) Like, maybe, I mean, yeah, maybe like, how did they do it before? It's not like capitalism existed forever. Oh, we shouldn't have stolen the land from the native Americans. All right. Anyway, enough of that. Um, you know, small (laughs) thing, small issue. Um, okay. Can you describe the worst customer or parent or whomever that you've ever interacted with? Or if you can't think of one example, then maybe like the weirdest eBay order you ever saw, or you can answer both of those questions or an archetype of like you went out with your buddies and that guy, Chris, when he behaves like this, everybody at the table is like, Oh God, here he goes again. This is so embarrassing. Like, please don't be this customer. Um, I'm really on the name Chris on this episode. I don't know if there's a Chris in your life, but I just keep bringing <laughs> up the name. I like Chris's Chris's are fine. That's just the name I keep picking, but do you have an answer? To yeah, that I'm here? in a huge, huge fight with a Chris <laughs> and Chris, if you're listening, I'm going to kill you. Wait, no, no, wait. <laughs> All right, Please strike that. I'm gonna be in trouble. Strike. Um, no, the strike. No, you can get, keep that. Keep it. Let him know. Yeah. Um, my answer. I, I have a specific example, but I think the genre is customers with power, or customers who decide to use their power. Um, I've had very different amounts of money in my life. When I had the most money, I never dreamed of being mean to a service worker because I knew I could get away with it. But some people totally do. Uh, I think that there's just no winning when somebody comes into a situation being like, I'm going to flex the fact that I uh, am going to win in this situation. And the person I'm talking to is prohibited by their employer from winning. It's not a real win. But the my example of this was actually I was a contract computer programmer for a while and I got I you could say I got a job or I got a contract and had a customer who was like sort of sort of my boss. Uh, But also, yeah, I was selling my services to them and they were just such a horrible boss. And when I started thinking of them as a customer. I had such a blast just being like, nope, my hours ended there. Nope, I'm not I'm not doing five days this week. I'm doing three. It was a blast. Uh, but not everybody has 
that option. So that is definitely the worst type of customer. So I just want to summarize it from what you said. So customers who decide to use their power and or or rather you said it customers with power and when they have it, they decide to use it or people who I guess that's the same in the same vein, like view something as a real win. If they got one over on the customer mm-hmm. service worker, when it, you're like, that's not even the stacks were obviously in your favor anyway. So what, what the hell are you talking? Is that, yeah, that's what you're saying. Okay. Exactly. Um, and yeah, also that person doesn't have any actual power. Their power here is like, yeah, you could get me fired from my service job. There's a chance. I don't give a shit if you get me fired from my <laughs> service job, but probably I do, but it's like, we're two people. You don't actually have power over me, but you could win this situation. And if you try, it makes you a loser. <laughs> totally agree. Okay, cool. Um, okay. And then just cause I want to get one more question in this section, then we'll move on. Ha- have you, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't foresee you as being this way, but have you ever like gotten into it with a customer or cause uh, in any of these situations or had to like be really firm and be really directive, like you will not be speaking to me or treating me that way. I definitely do have an overactive sense of justice. <laughs> Me too. And we would be friends, Ian. <laughs> I, I know. I think we. I think we are. We are but, friends. Uh, I think that it's it, but it, I'm sure it doesn't serve you. No, does it? Like, no, it, it just never. Me so much trouble. <laughs> just stress all the time and <laughs> angst. Yes. <laughs> so much stress. I'm like, oh, everything has to be fair. Yes. Everything has to be right. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I've definitely gotten into it. Uh, but usually I'm avoidant, but the funniest one is that I, when I was running my dad's eBay store, I sent a computer, they're expensive. He bought it for like 800 bucks. I sent the computer, the delivery service, uh, brought it and I guess it got stolen off of the porch. And for Amazon, you can just be like, things stolen, give me back the money. Um, this person hit me up and was like, refund my computer and and we went back and forth for so long on the phone on text messages where i was like your computer the one that i don't have anymore <laughs> so which, which which one of us do you want to be out eight hundred dollars <laughs> i'm dying <laughs> if i give you back your 800 bucks then i don't then i don't have the 800 bucks And I tried to get them to talk to the delivery person nonstop. The FedEx said they couldn't do anything. And uh, I I don't know why I, maybe I'm too proud. I never like ran to my dad for help about this. But after like days of this, I ran to him and I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm sorry. And he looked at me puzzled and he was like, just refund the computer. (laughs) And I was like, oh, is that easy? Okay, fine. No, I'm upset. No, that person should not have gotten that money back. No. And they probably did just take the computer. Yes, that's my. That's but, what I was thinking. Uh, I was like, they have the computer and the money. Oh, I'm upset. But it it wasn't worth it for, for the whole business. And, and to my dad's credit, he was like, I did check in with him once before. He was like, try to figure it out. And then when it was a, a block, he was like, that's the cost of doing business. Your dad is um, very it, wise. I mean, people working in the service industry know this. You can't always let stuff roll off your back. No, even you though can't. you know it's better if you do. Yes, I never do. No. <laughs> I'm very Irish. No, <laughs> and I will hold this grudge until I see you again outside. 
Oh, I hate you got says they see that that man stole from a small business. That makes me so mad. My friend, God bless her. Hi, Jerry. Uh, my friend owned this like nursing staffing agency and she mm. owned it out in Los Angeles. And she was she's a boss. Jerry, you are such a boss. And watching her be an entrepreneur and running all of that was so inspiring. And there was a period of time where she had like several facilities and there was an, one nurse in one facility that stole $500,000 from her through <gasps> stealing medical equipment and like all of the, I know I'm getting the oh details messed up, Jerry, but it was an enormous amount of money. And mm -hmm. that woman, she values her peace so much and her ability to be a boss and make more money that she said she went to court about it. She tried to get her money. And after the first round, she said, okay, I tried. She needed the money more than I did. Washed her hands of it and moved on and i was like the day the day i value peace more than five hundred thousand dollars is the day i shave my head and become a buddhist monk like i was like you walked away from that and she was like can't i have to it's you know my business needed to move on i needed and i was like ma'am but ma'am and she just she just let it go she and i was like she's like your dad i mean i'm God bless. Jerry. Jerry. I, first of all, we love you, Jerry. Yes, we oh do. My God. We do. Yeah. But she. But I, I wonder if you've felt this way with your overactive sense of justice. You start to realize, like, if I get mad, if I get upset, the person who's hurting is me. That's right. And I want to be happy. So, so maybe I can let people get away with things sometimes sometimes and i'll be happier for it it's so true sometimes. i mean yeah and it's what what it's like they say holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die it's like i get it like i get all the platitudes mm -hmm. i get them but ian <laughs> but ian sometimes sometimes i'll still be mad <laughs> <Yes>. you know <laughs> Okay, well, on that note, folks, we're going to move on to the good stuff. We hope you saved room mm. for dessert. Okay, well, you have done a really excellent job of peppering in some positive all throughout. So this this won't be that much of a departure from the other sections, but I feel like we can get more of the traditional questions in here. What is the nicest mm. thing a customer or student or human in the workspace has done for you whilst you were working? Just, this might be too general, but just being chill. Uh, just not worrying about it just I, you know I had customers that I was building things for as a computer programmer for who were the best who I was like I'd hint I'd be like oh this is taking a while what's your timeline and they'd be like oh have another week who cares and that was always just such a lifeline for me it was so oh. maybe, maybe I'll specify this into people who are willing to yeah, yeah well, people who are willing to be patient that's the most incredible gift I've ever been given is patience. Mm. Everyone deserves it. I agree with that. Do you ever, now when you are about to be impatient with someone, how do you talk yourself out of the impatience? Deep breaths, <laughs> very deep breaths. <laughs> uh, and I think a, a, I, this is a silly, a silly answer, but I think a sense of um, peace and fun in my own brain. I think when people are really impatient, it's because they can't go one more minute without uh, getting the thing they need to go to the next thing. And sometimes I'm told it's going to be an extra half hour. And I go, ah, I'll have a fun time imagining a cow in my mind. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm not a vegetarian. I'll admit it. But cows are so cute. They really are. I, I, I love them. 
My ministry in the I've world great is... experiences with cats. Have you really? Did you ever go to the Gentle yeah. Barn in L.A.? No, what's that? Oh, we'll talk about it off the mic. Oh, my gosh. It's so great. If you oh like animals, it was the best. Oh, my God. I'm a big oh animal God. person. I yeah. Like oh, it's the best. Uh, yeah. And P.S. This is my ministry. Tipping over cows kills them. Please stop doing it. It was very much a trend in like the 90s and the oh. 2000s and like pushing them over and people thought it was really funny. It makes their insides explode and it's really bad for them. Don't do it. Oh. Okay. But we're in the positive section. You oh, and I don't tip cows. Babies. Yeah. Poor little, okay. poor little calves. Okay. Um, who is your favorite customer you ever, like you remember interacting with or like a favorite customer moment that really sticks out in your mind. And this could be with like someone in the crowd at one of your shows or somebody who came up to you afterwards to be like, Oh my gosh, Ian, you know, that was transformative or whatever. It can be any, any of the umbrella of just a favorite interaction like that. Okay. My favorite is, so I have really uh, listeners look up a picture of me. I have very specific hair in that it is uh, long bleach, bl- I mean, natural blonde. Uh, and I also like, uh, listen, let's just be real. My hairline is uh, pretty pretty sharp. Let's just say it's, sharp. it's quite a widow's peak. Uh, and so I am also with what I do, which is musical comedy. Like people remember that in the sea of, I usually do shows that are all non-musical comedians and me. So with the combination of my really specific look and my specific thing I do, I get recognized on the street actually a good amount. Um, especially in my neighborhood, at the gym. It's really, really nice, actually. I get to feel a little bit famous, which is a really cool thing. Um, Anytime somebody comes up to me and is like, I loved your show, you were so funny in the thing, um, it's great. Even when someone's like, I know you from something, and I have to help them there, it's still, like, really fun. But the best thing that ever happened to me is... It, it's one of those, but it's, I was at the jazz club with a boy and I really wanted him to like me. I was like, he, I felt him sort of detaching a tiny bit. I was like, no, I want him to be up. Obs- I don't like men unless they're obsessed with me. So I brought him to the jazz club. I was like, I'm going to be cool tonight. We get some cocktails. We're hanging out. And what do you know? But a beautiful girl from the other side of the room walks right up to us and says, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but I saw you do your show the other week and I thought you were incredible and so talented and you were the best on the show and I just think you're amazing. Sorry to interrupt, huge fan. And then walks away. I would have slipped her a 20. That was the biggest... Oh, absolutely. Well, he, the boy I was with had a very clever comeback. He said, how much you pay her to do that? But also I could tell he 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 was being cheeky and he was super into me the rest of the night. I bet he was. Um, and yeah, he was. But uh, that was like, that was the technically a customer, best customer ever, best wingman of my entire life. And if you're listening to this, I love you. I'll give you anything. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, girl at the bar. What bar was that? Thank Where were you? you? Girl. Um, Ornithology Jazz Club in Brooklyn. Check it out. It's sexy. Yeah, I'm, I'm just writing that down. Ornithology Jazz Club. Uh, okay, and now I noticed you have a wedding ring on your hand. Was that, did you end up marrying oh. that human? Not not him. No, I did oh, not. Good, because I was he like, was great. okay. But the cheeky comment, I'm not really with. The like, how much you pay her to do that. So good. I'm glad you married someone else. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. What is the... And I love my husband. Yes. We, we, we all, what's your husband's name? 
Jasper, I love him so much. He's downstairs right now. We love you, Jasper. Okay, what a beaut. We love you, Jasper. What What is the best time you have ever had at work? You can count comedy because we can assume that because you. I'm going to allow some latitude here since you haven't had a ton of customer service jobs. So what is the best time you've ever had at work? I mean, the best time I ever had in comedy was probably doing just one of the huge shows and had an incredible time and people came up to me. People sometimes will come up to me after and say the nicest stuff, but that's boring. Um, that's right. Otherwise, the best time I ever had at work is I went uh, on a work retreat with uh, with a company I was with and it was a fancy tech company and they took us to San Francisco and they like put us on a little mini yacht and gave us champagne and took me to the most expensive dinner I've ever been to in my life. And it was just, I was just living so large. Spoiler alert, that company laid me off like a year <laughs> later. So they were spending too much money. And I, I don't want to give away um, specifically what I'm into sexually, but this probably does. I was at a dinner sitting next to my hot, straight, nice, gentle, sensitive coworker. Uh, and we're all really tipsy at the most expensive dinner I've ever been to on the most expensive wine I've ever had. And this is still technically during work. And we're going back and forth tipsy, sort of roasting each other. And then all of a sudden I get like a good one in on him. And he turns to me, looks me dead in the eyes with a little smirk on his face and says, big talk for a little man. And I blacked out. Sir, <laughs> sir. Oh my, I'm sweating. I'm he, started, sweating. he started profusely apologizing while the whole table laughed. And I, I just looked him with, at him with like little puppy dog eyes. And I went, you don't have to apologize. I, I like that a lot. I am sweating. And uh, yeah, so that was great. That, that felt really good. Okay. All right. Good little window into you. Okay. We appreciate that. Yeah. What is the best lesson you have personally learned from working in customer service or in any of these jobs or doing comedy or just, uh, just a good lesson you've learned? I think um, not for the comedy ones because the, the comedy ones are, are way more fun. But for all of these jobs, I worked while, while trying to do comedy. Um, your, I think your piece is not worth giving up for anyone. And maybe more optimistically, you're going to be there for eight hours. Don't, there's no need to get upset and dwell on things. And I say that knowing I've had horrible work experiences. I'm sure that somebody is out there listening to this and their job is so, so horrible every single day. I'm not telling you to not feel bad sometimes. I'm just telling you that you are a beautiful person and I don't want you to be sad and upset and mad. And it would make me happy if you protected yourself there. Um, don't be sad because you didn't protect you. I love this. I'm paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you answered this <laughs> earlier, but I'm, I'm, forcing it back into this part like unless you if you have more for a piece of advice you would give to customers who interact with customer service workers mm -hmm. or anything else you can think of to tell them I'll, I'll double down on the other one and get into it if they are not in the mood that's not on you that's not your problem and you know what they would probably love if you were easy mm. and if they want to talk to you and they're having fun talk to them have fun with them 
I was at a restaurant recently with a friend, uh, a gay friend, and we were just having dinner, the two of us, not my husband. And the waiter who was gay, as soon as we started playing along with him, he, we were like, what should we get to eat? And he was like, oh, you have to get this cacio e pepe appetizer, but it's a lot of cheese, so I would split it. I don't know which one of you is bottoming tonight. And I we, live. I and live. That was probably too much, but I laughed so, so hard. So hard. That's so hard. Read the other person's energy. They are a human too. And just give it back to them and don't be offended. It's fine. It's fine. It literally, it just doesn't matter. We get so little time on the planet. Like, just just be kind. It's easy. You can laugh. Oh, Ian, you it's are... It's so easy. And you'll be so much happier. You will be. You are so delightful. And this was so lovely. Thank and you. I want people to fall in love with you as I have just done. So uh, give us your social handles again. Give us your website. Let people find you and tell us anything else we need to know um, about, yeah, girlfriend pageant or anything else. Just remind us. It's, it's in the episode already, but we still want to hear it again. So just go find me online. I'm at Mr. Ian Lockwood everywhere. That's M R I A N. You get it. Um, and I'll post stuff and I have these insane songs about sleeping with people's dads and being a pick me girl and being an AI trapped in the computer and being in love with the Nintendo character Bowser. Um, so if that sounds, <laughs> if that sounds interesting to you, it does. go check it out. And if not, that's okay. And I hope that you have a lovely life, whoever you are. <laughs> well, folks, we're going to drop your checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at Service from Hell, we'd love to have you subscribe, rate, and or review the show wherever you listen. It will help us reach more people that need to be schooled on the art of being kind and will be catharsis for those of us still working in the industry. If you want to get in touch with us here at Service from Hell directly, send us your receipts to servicefromhellpodcast at gmail.com. We always love hearing from y'all. We promise we read all the emails. Remember, if you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to go out. So don't be garbage and be good to people. It's much easier that way. Oh, thank you, Mr. Ian Lockwood. You were a delight and I can't wait to meet you in real life. I'm going to come bother you in New York at some yes. point. Um, yes. I would love that. All right, folks. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Good night. Sometimes in the progressive sphere, if you like are really mm -hmm. authentic, sometimes people still get their assholes puckered. So like, do you ever get people that are like, I mean, like I normally like your stuff, but then this thing was too much or whatever. Do you ever experience that? No, not really because I'm in Brooklyn and oh, yeah. uh, everyone's pretty, pretty open-minded. My parents, sometimes my mother will be like, well, that one was a little too far. And I'll be like, <laughs> okay, the one. One thing that anyone ever got mad at me for was I have a song called Nasty where I am portraying myself as like the worst person in the world. Aww. Just evil. And no, no, no. But it's like I'm talking about it's about how I am in relationships. It's about being the most toxic partner in the world. Oh, got it. Um, like okay. I'm going to isolate you from your family. I'm going to... Uh, uh, I'm going to constantly insult you. I'm going to uh, laugh when you get trapped under your bookcase. Uh, I'm, I catfish people. I, so it's, it's all of this evil, insane stuff. Um, oh, I, I tell your dad at Father's Day brunch that I'm your dad now. Um, so, so like I'm the most evil person. And I had a line in there, um, which was, 
I, I saw you, I saw you text that fat bitch. So did you kiss her? No, I don't care that she is technically your older sister. Okay. And by, by that point, I had said so much worse from the point of view of this character um, that then calling someone's sister fat, which is uh, like, yeah, it's something an evil girlfriend would do. Uh, but somebody really took offense to it being used in the pejorative, even from a character. I, I, I struggled for this with this for a while because I was like, well, if Hitler in a movie called someone fat, would you be mad at the screenwriters or would you be like, that's Hitler? But I don't know. It was a good lesson because it's like, is that person technically intellectually wrong? Yes. Technically, I'm right and they're wrong. On the other hand, do I care to hurt anyone or make anyone feel bad? Then, no. So I did end up, and that was many years ago, I did end up changing the lyric off of that to stink bitch. <laughs> and I was like, it's just not worth the doing fight. that. Outside of that, if anyone was like, I'm offended that your song is gay, I'd be like, get fucked. Yeah, go, good luck. Thank you so much, sir. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> 